This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. We are going to empower, equip, fire up, and raise up the women this morning. And so this sermon, this sermon is for everybody that knows a woman. Because all the guys are like, well, this is going to be one of those like women sermons. There wouldn't be so many women sermons if more of the men knew what they were doing. I can feel the women rising, guys. Watch out. They're going to mutiny, man. You can feel it in the room. They're like, what, then? What? You know? It's like, <laughs> just feel it, man. This doesn't even include the streaming audience. I'm ready to get throat punched for this sermon by some men, but that's all right. Mm. <laughs> we talk about the new covenant a lot, but one of the things that we don't talk about a lot is, honestly, what does it mean for the women in the new covenant? Because all of the junk that is spread, that is pumped into you, that has been told to you for most of your life, was, is not in the new covenant. Yeah. Sounded like some little hands. <laughs> we are, uh, we've got to, we've got to get bold about this. We're not going to change culture. We're not going to be able to accomplish everything God has called us to do unless we're doing it together. It's going to take powerful men and powerful women to be able to do what God's called us to do on this earth. I know in this house, sometimes I have to be very purposeful to talk about something because for me, honestly, more of my leadership team is women than men. For me, I pray and I believe with all my heart there's, there's no issue there. But that's not everywhere at all. And we're not called just to impact this house. We're called to impact nations. We're called to be a people that understand who we are in Christ and to take it to the ends of the earth. And one topic that typically doesn't get talked about a lot is New Covenant women. I like that you don't know where I'm going. I like that feeling right now. Because I'm like, I can feel it in the room. Like, I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> it just feels like this anxiousness. Like, somebody call me. <laughs> I'm going to try to stick close to my notes so I don't blow this this morning. I think there's a lot of, mis- a lot of misunderstanding. Let's just start right there. There's been a lot of teaching that has come out of a lot of misunderstanding that has produced more misunderstanding. And it's like the game of telephone. You know what I'm saying? As it goes down the line, it can get worse. Until somebody's like, what? And somebody has taught something and it has been retaught and it has been retaught and it has been retaught and then by the end it's this, like, what? And some people are really bound up in this area. I remember I sat in a visitor's meeting. uh, This was years, this is four or five years ago, probably longer than that. (laughs) We had a guy in the meeting, and I could tell he was not asking in a good way. He's like, are are women allowed to minister? (laughs) Oh, oh, this is going to be fun. I mean, it was not like, are women allowed to minister? I right there wanted to just hand the meeting off to one of my women leaders. That's the kind of honorary side of me. <laughs> but I didn't. But I did say, uh, yeah. And there's been a lot of misunderstanding because people have heard a lot of scriptures. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to be able to get into all the scriptures this morning. And there's things that play into this culturally, scripturally. So many different pieces that play into this that it may end up being more than one sermon. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to preach it again because I want everybody to show up. (laughs) But I think it might end up being more than one because there's no way I can take it all on. But there's certain things that that we've taken these scriptures, you know, the, well, be submissive. (laughs) 
Submit, woman. Let me know how that works for you. Just remember, I'm the head. And I'm going to deal with some of these because all of these come out of scriptures. They're just twisted. And they're misunderstood. And so it is scriptural. It's just not right. I can make the scriptures fit pretty much anything I want if I want to manipulate them. It can be done. But the thing is to say, what was he really saying there? And so that's where we're going to go. So I think the best place to start this, and just if you got your Bibles, grab them. The best place to start this is all the way back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to have some fun. You guys with me? We're going to have fun. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't it interesting? Let's pause right there. This is a side point. Isn't it interesting that God would create an environment where there was freedom, that there had to be an option that was wrong? Freedom is not lack of options. Freedom is not taking away something from someone and then saying, oh, that's perfect. That's called control. Freedom can only be freedom inside of the boundaries of self-control. Verse 2. And the woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Pause. Can't spend much time here. But it's a pretty interesting lie that he told her there. He said, you'll be like God if you do this. She was already created in his image. The lie was that he got her to believe you're not like God. It wasn't just to eat from the tree. The actual lie was that you're not like him when the Bible says you are like him. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the gardens. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put me here with. (laughs) Adam needs the man up. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. A lot of finger pointing going on here. I want you to skip over a couple verses to verse 16. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. All right, I want to stop right there. This is the consequences of what happened, and this is the curse being released. Okay? I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Stop. This idea, this reality in a sense, started when the curse happened. Are you with me? It was a part of the curse. But it's interesting because the passage says this. It's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing going on here because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It could look like it says, where was it? Verse uh, 16. 
and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. It doesn't make much sense that you would desire him and then he'd rule. Except you need to understand what the word desire means because this passage right here is where the battle of the sexes began because that word desire is only used three times in the Old Covenant and every time that that word desire was used, it actually means that it wants to overcome. It wasn't her saying, I desire you. I love you, honey. (laughs) Wrong interpretation. It's saying, I'm going to overcome you. And Adam's saying, I'm going to rule over you. And so it began. See how understanding one word changes the whole passage? That he said, Your desire will be for him. Not this, oh, my heart desires for you. It's a, I'm going to overtake you. I'm going to control you. And man, I'm going to rule you. That sounds like a healthy marriage right there, doesn't it? (laughs) I see them, trust me, they're out there. And so here we have this battle that's kicked off and things begin to get interesting between man and woman because of the curse and the dynamics begin to shift in relationship. So something interesting happens in verse 20. This is really interesting. Adam named his wife Eve. Up to this point, she was named woman. Why did Adam name her Eve? Because when God gave Adam dominion over everything, he said, I'm giving you dominion, and to exert your dominion over them, you'll name all the animals. Now the curse has come. Listen to me. Now the curse has come, and he has dominion over the woman, and the first thing he does is name her. God didn't name her. Adam named her. Don't worry, it gets better. You're looking at me like, this is the most depressing, empowering sermon I have ever heard. I have to give you context because if I don't give you the context, I can't show you where everything changes. And so this is where we're at right now. They messed up. They ate of the fruit. The curse came in. The woman said, I want to control and overtake you. And the man said, I'm going to rule you. And God says, because of the curse, the curse is between the man and the woman. And Adam said, I'm going to exert my authority. I'm going to exert it. And I'm going to name her Eve. When Adam and Eve, when Adam named Eve, the curse was in full swing now. And Adam was in dominion over Eve. Man at that point was in dominion over woman. And for whatever reason, many of us have accepted that Christ came and broke the power of the curse for men, but not for women. His blood was great enough to break the curse for all mankind. Men and women. (laughs) And we have this 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 thinking that that honestly is primarily stuck in the church. It's sad when women can be more empowered outside of church than inside of church. They can get this close to being president. It wasn't a man or woman thing. It just well, we're not gonna go there. But They are really empowered outside the church, but then inside the church, well, you know, there's these scriptures here. And meanwhile, the kingdom of God is at, much of the kingdom of God is only advancing at half speed because we've only embraced that half the people have authority. I believe the kingdom could double in speed if we would embrace that everyone has the same authority. And so the sad part is that we, many of us have still, we don't understand this. And this is what we're hopefully going to break through this morning. Because when the curse was released, I want you to recognize something, that God was heartbroken. 
He designed man and woman to walk together. Equal. Partners. And we see something really interesting that is kind of a game changer. Remember when I first was taught this and it really blew my mind. If you flip over a couple chapters into Genesis chapter 6, we see this, the story of Noah and the flood. And there's something in here that um, Jonathan Welton had pointed out that just, it was just a, it was a game changer for me personally. Chapter 6, verse 5, and it says this. And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. I mean, it's gotten to a bad point. And his heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in his eyes. Stop right there. Now, in the next passage, if you flip over to chapter 7, verse 7, there's these weird, uh, sometimes there's little details in the Bible. This, if you could just read right through them, right? I, I know a lot of times when you start a chapter and it says, therefore, I remember someone said one time, and you see, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. <laughs> People just start, therefore, it's like, well, what's it there for? Good question. And so there's little details that come sometimes that we need to grab. And in the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 7, and Noah and his sons and his wife and sons' wives enter the ark to escape the water's floods. Hold on. This is really important that we understand this. They're going into the ark. I got to stay up here for the camera. They're going up. Noah. Noah's sons. Noah's wife. Noah's sons' wives. It's pretty interesting that they put that in there, a detail like that, right? The how they actually entered the ark. So God wipes the earth clean. He decides it's time for a massive reset. I mean, massive reset. And I want you to notice something. In Genesis chapter 8, one more chapter over, verse 15, we see this. Then God said to Noah, who said to Noah? Who said to Noah? Then God said to Noah, now stop, he's giving him instructions how to come out of the ark. Come out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and their wives. God was trying, even before his son came, to get this thing back in alignment. He said, I know you went in, Noah sons, wife, sons, wives. But when you come off, I'm giving you instructions how to walk off that boat. Walk off that boat, Noah, with your wife. Your sons, walk off with your wives. Why? Because I'm trying to get rid of this curse. The problem is, is that Noah didn't listen. And here we go again. And they came off their way. You can read that if you want in verse 18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. So what did God do? <laughs> God decided that, all right, he tried with Noah. That didn't work. So God said, all right, I'm going to take this into my hands. We're going to fix this thing. I'm going to send my son. He's called the second Adam. Why? Because he's going to come back and he's going to fix everything the first Adam messed up. And he's going to restore everything to before the curse. So he's called the second Adam. And no one else is going to be able to mess it up. Because this now 
is between the Father and the Son. Jonathan preached a phenomenal sermon at our last conference on explaining the better covenant between the Father and the Son. And so, what did he do? I want you to catch something really fun here. Uh, This is where things begin to switch and things really get interesting. He decided to take everything into his hands and he's going to send Jesus a baby, but he does something interesting. He decides to partner with a little girl. This is just like, I don't know if I can say this. It kind of feels like God has a little bit of an ornery side. Like, I'm going to change the whole earth through a girl. And so here he is. He says, he kind of, I mean, the reality is he bypassed man. Do I have to draw it out, guys? (laughs) She was a virgin. Man was not involved. God said, I'm going to work directly with a woman. <laughs> Finally get it right. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> Have you ever taken just a moment to consider that all of the future of mankind was in the hands of a little girl named Mary? I find it actually somewhat hilarious <laughs> that we're even still fighting this battle when God was so in favor of empowering ladies that he put the Messiah and the Savior of the world in the womb of a woman. He could not have possibly shown more trust. A little girl plus Jesus changed the world. (laughs) All right, I've been kind of rough on the guys up to this point. But there's, there's another piece to this. Joseph was important. This is where we come in. Joseph, um, <laughs> as you guys can imagine, oh, you're pregnant. <laughs> oh, there was no one else involved. Okay, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Lord knew that was going to be a hard sell. So he's like, all right, we're going to have to bring in the angels. We're going to have to put him to sleep. We're going to have to talk to him when he's out of the way. And we'll we'll fix this. Mary's like, listen, I mean, I'm doing my best here. And God's like, got this. And so what happens? Joseph goes to sleep, and the angels come to him and says, it's true, Joseph. No man was involved. She's carrying the Savior of the world. Man up. Joseph wakes up. Joseph, at that point, previously, was going to be pretty honorable. He's going to, the Bible says, put her away quietly. He wasn't going to make a scene and ridicule her. He was going to end everything quietly. But God said, that's not my plan for you. You're going to protect her. In a culture where women really didn't mean anything, you're going to protect her from the culture she's in because she carries the very one that will change the culture. So you need to protect her from the culture and you need to protect her from yourself. And so here's Joseph. He has to step up big time. In order for powerful women to step up, and deliver the promise that they're carrying, there needs to be powerful men to protect and defend what they're called to be. I'm going to say that again. In order for powerful women to step up and deliver the promise they're carrying, it's going to take powerful men to protect them and defend them. Here she is. I mean, this is not easy. I mean, she's pregnant. The way that God does all of this is really almost hard to comprehend. He's breaking all the rules. (laughs) Why? Because he has started this process of the ultimate reset. And things are changing. And he broke a massive rule because he said, I am going to empower this woman. 
I'm going to put. <laughs> Leave it to God to put the answer of everyone's prayer in a little girl. You realize they had been praying for a really long time for a Savior. And leave it to God to say, I'm going to bring him forth in a girl. That just messes with people's heads. Even Mary, even her name, you have to, this is, Mary, the name Mary comes from the word Miriam, which means rebellion. God's starting a rebellion. That's what he's doing. All my Star Wars fans. <laughs> he's starting the ultimate rebellion. He said, oh, you have a problem with ladies? I'm going to use one to change the world. And by the way, her name means rebellion. Everybody focuses on the name, like Miriam's, like uh, one of the other meanings is um, wisher of child. Interesting combo. And so here comes Jesus on the scene. Mary's got, she's carrying the Savior, she's carrying the Messiah. She's, she's, she's got a baby in her womb that is going to change everything. Joseph is protecting And it's time for this ultimate reset to happen and to restore God's plans to how he meant them to be. God already tried once to fix this equality issue with Noah. Didn't work. So he said, all right, I got a better plan. We're going to do it this way. I'm going to bring forth, you're going to bring forth a son named Jesus, and he's going to change everything. And so Jesus comes, and what does he do? He comes to bridge the gap between the garden and heaven. He's this bridge that where there was complete freedom before, curse, heaven. He said, I'll take care of this. It says in, you still with me? It says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, I'll just read it to you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ broke the power of the curse. People say, well, well, I mean, when we say it's done, it's done. It's broken. And then people say, well, wait a minute. I hear this all the time. Well, if it's really done and if you broke all the power, then why are there sick people? And why, are there, why is there death? Why is there hurt? Why is there pain? Why is there oppression? Great question, right? I want you to take a moment and just pretend with me that there's a dictator over a certain nation. And he is, everywhere his handprints are, is death. You can see this, this trail of pain, torment, death. And all of a sudden, there is an uprising and they take over and he is out. His authority, his power is gone. But there is still a path and a bunch of death and mess that needs to be cleaned up. When Jesus died on the cross, when he broke the curse and became a curse for you and I so that we no longer live under it, the power of the curse was broken. He tagged us and said, I broke the curse. Tag, you're it. Now you need to come and clean up everything. There is no more power. There is no authority. The enemy has nothing on us. Are you awake? He broke it. But it doesn't mean there's not still a trail of mess that we have to come in and say, let's clean this up. It's called restoration. It's, it's what we're called to do is to restore, to redeem. Why? The dictator's out. But now we got to come in and clean things up. He broke the curse. But there's still residue. But we clean it up because we've got the authority now to say, let's get this out of here. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, when it talks about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, I believe, and he says to pray this way that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying, I'm giving you a template. 
I need you to be the ones that make earth look like heaven. I took out the ruler. He's out of the way. Now, make earth look like heaven. The problem is, is we've all bought into a bunch of bad teaching that we have to die to experience heaven. Which makes death your savior, not Jesus. You are called to make earth look like heaven. You, why do we call this place the gate? Lift up your heads, O oh, you gates, let the king of glory come through you. Everywhere you go, there is a portal to heaven. You are, you are an open heaven. You are a walking open heaven. So the Apostle Paul, he began to take on this, <laughs> this oppressive mindset, and Paul was radical. He's like, I, Paul was just kind of that guy, like, I, I think if you met him, he's like, I'll, the guy that, I'll take on anything. I got this. And so Paul steps up big time, and Paul decides that uh, he's going to begin taking on this stuff. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, we see this. Uh, really good scripture that says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. That's a pretty good scripture, guys. <laughs> For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You ready for this? There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, and there is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is stepping into this major oppressive racial scene. He's like, guys, listen. Everything's changed. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter if you're free or not. Jesus isn't actually looking at you. God is actually looking at Christ in you. Everything began to change. Paul was taking this like head on. Let's deal with this. There is no difference, Paul's saying. <laughs> God actually, try, I'm not going to, we don't have to go there right now, but actually you can write it down. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God, when he spoke to the prophet Samuel, remember when they were looking for a king? They were looking for, they found David. And remember that they brought out all these sons and, and it's all the like, these are the guys that match the description for what you need. You need a warrior. And he's like, well, is this all of them? It was David, you know, twinkle toes out in the field, always playing his guitar to the sheep. You want to send him? Bring him in. I always capture that the Bible does say he was a good-looking redhead. It's true. It's true. I'm going to leave it awkward for just another moment right there. I'm that guy. And so, and so what happens, he, he, God, is, God is telling Samuel, the prophet Samuel, he's telling him, if you read that scripture, he says that I don't look at outward appearances. He was trying to get the point across a ways back. He was saying, I don't even look at all that stuff. And we're still fighting this. You need to remember something. The curse was never between God and woman. The curse was always between man and woman. God never, God never came into a relationship through the curse. Now your minds are just like, whoa. The curse, read your Bible. The curse was between man and woman. The curse was between man and the ground. Nowhere in your Bible was there a curse between man or woman and God. Why? God wasn't going to come into a relationship through a curse. 
His heart never changed. His heart never changed towards women from the moment he created them. He didn't come into the curse. He said, I still see you as powerful. I still see you as equal. But the reality is, now that this has happened, you two are going to butt heads. But we'll fix that later. God doesn't look at male or female. He looks at Christ in us. Paul's speaking to this, this racist culture, saying outlandish things at that point in time. Like, get you killed things. I mean, you can go say this at the grocery store, and you'll end up on Facebook Live. <laughs> they say this, and it's like, you're going to end up dead. Right. And he's saying, guys, this is enough. It's changed. What did Isaiah prophesy? That he would come to set free the captives, the oppressed. He came to set free all of the oppression. Are you still with me? Yes. All right. Well what, about, well, what about scriptures in the New Covenant, like man is the head of the wife? It's a good question, right? The irony is that Paul wrote that. <laughs> that should be your first, like, indicator. It's probably not what you think. Because this is the same guy saying, neither man nor woman. And then you're accusing him of saying that he's some, well, man is the head of the woman. <laughs> Either he's got, like, multi-personalities or we're misunderstanding something here. So the question that you should all ask is, what does that passage mean? Because it's there. And this is where it gets fun. Let's flip over to Ephesians. Oops. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. All right, we're going to move quickly because we're running out of time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, wait a minute. That's the wrong one. That's another one. Actually, no, that's right. Okay, let's start there. Verse 22, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Stop. Now, we read that. Submit. Can we take it back one verse, the one that nobody starts with? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, that kind of just beats the whole argument. Like, I mean, we really don't have to go much deeper at that point. But he started off that passage by saying, by the way, submit to each other. But he goes on and says, wives, submit to your husbands. I think that probably the best teaching I've heard on this personally is the one that Brian Simmons teaches because he makes a point. He says that God didn't speak in Hebrew. God spoke in Aramaic. And he goes on to teach this passage and said that when your Bible says that, he said a better translation, if we're going to look at it through the Aramaic, will actually be wives, are you ready for this? Be tenderly devoted to your husband as unto the Lord. Oh, that changes everything. Wives, be tenderly devoted unto your husband as unto the Lord. Okay, let's get to that other piece. Ready? Verse 23. And for the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's a savior. So for the husband is the head of the wife. Here's where we get lost. Here's, here's where we get in trouble. What does the word head mean? It's not, nope, it's not covering, it's not boss, it's not slave driver. You want to know what it really means? This is where things get interesting. The word head actually means source. You ever heard the term headwaters, the source of the river? Head waters, the term that the man is the head over the wife means that you actually get to be a source for the wife. We don't, 
we got to get this. We don't, we, it's, it's not a you're better thing. People don't look at the river and be like, where is the headwaters to that? <laughs> People are like this beautiful raging river and they're like, I wonder what the headwaters looks like. Whoa. Somebody's probably said that in this room, but I've never said that. I'll look at it and say, wow, look at the, just look at the scenery. Look at the rapids. Look at the clearness of the water. There's this place we go up in the mountains, and about 20 minutes of the drive is, is riding next to a river. And was it? It's the new river. And you're looking at it, and it's this beautiful river. I am not, I've never once said, I wonder what the headwaters looks like. You see, it's actually confusing when we think that the head is actually, I know I'm going to get beat up for this, but it's what your Bible says. So the head is not translated as the covering. Now, I'm not saying that, I've already addressed that as men, we're supposed to protect. Don't, I've already addressed that, so don't throw it back in my face. But the word head does not mean covering. It does not mean roof. Honestly, the better translation would mean more like you're the platform they stand on. Well, I'm the roof. Well, maybe that's the problem is you're in the way, and that's why they can't rise. I'm going to have a bunch of friends after this service, but they're all going to be ladies. <laughs> Ain't no men. No. I, listen, I have no issues with this. I'm married to a powerful woman. She's sitting right here. And I have no, listen, I was the one that stepped off of that stage and said, you take it. I have no problem doing that because I see how powerful she is. I see so many powerful people. And I see so many people that have been brought up in teachings that they don't understand. And we're breaking that off this morning. When we use the word that the man is the head, he is not a ceiling, he's not a covering, he is a protector. But that's not what that word means. The Bible says, if you want to see the same word later on, it says in Colossians 1.18 that the Bible says that Christ is the head of man. Here's where it gets fun. Christ is the head of the church. Is there anything that we can't do in Christ? You can do all things in Christ, which means that you should be able to do more with a head in your life than less with a head in your life. If someone says they're the head of your life and you do less, something's wrong. He is the head of the church, and because he is there, we can do more. If you're actually men, the head of your marriage, your home, your family, everyone under you should be empowered to do more with you than without you. My home should be more empowered because of me than under a dictator. Empowerment. So what we're called to do is empower people. I know this is hard. I know some of you have thought this way a certain way for a long time, but it's time that we take this thing on. I haven't even, I haven't even had time to, to touch the fun stuff like all the women prophets and the woman apostle. She's in there. And gives her name and says that she was one of the greatest. Isn't it interesting that God created man, said you're good, and created woman and said you're very good? <laughs> I feel like we could just take it back to that and put this away. I was going to make a joke earlier. I said that the kingdom would move at twice the speed. I think it would even move way faster than that. Because women are just way, never mind, they're just way better than us in some areas. But listen, listen, they're there. And it, when it addresses the apostles, it said, that they were some of, it said that they were some of the greatest apostles. 
didn't even just throw them in and like, well, they were one. Actually says they were one of the greatest. When the curse was broken, I'm going to stop there. When the curse, let's, let's, let's recap and finish up. When the curse came, it's when the war came. I'm going to control you. I'm going to rule over you. That's an area where we need to take back and clean this mess up and begin to realize what Paul said, that we are all children of God. I don't see a Greek or a Jew or slave or free man or woman. He just sees Christ in you. I know that some people may be in the room thinking, you know, we've, we've dealt with this. Really? Try to name off 10 powerful women that are in the church that are not married to a powerful man, that aren't itinerants, and not missionaries. You will find yourself having a very hard time to find it because... There are powerful women that are missionaries, the Heidi Bakers, rocking the world. There are itinerants. You can go through a list of powerful women. And then there's the church. And you can come up with a few names, but it's hard to come up with ones that aren't married and their husbands are great, and so they just got the platform because they're husband. What's the point? We have to correct this in the church. We have to correct this in the church. I want all the ladies to stand up. Just stand up, ladies. There's way more women here than men. I want to pray for you, and I want to bless you. I want all the men just to extend your hands towards them. Ladies, we bless you. And right now, we publicly state that we empower you to be great. To be the ones that carry, like Mary, the promises. The ones that within them is greatness. And I, I speak to all of the lies that have been... Uh, picked up through the years. Just let it go. Let it go. Especially the ones that really hurt that were spoken by spouses. Let it go. I pray that he would give you the strength to drop that and never pick it back up again because he freed you. The same blood that broke the curse broke all of it. And there is no longer man or woman, Greek or Jew. We're all children of God. I speak greatness over you. I speak to your dreams that you would dream greater than you've ever dreamed before. I speak to you that you would begin to have visions that have far surpassed the visions that you've ever had before. I pray for the mental blocks that have come in, that they would be removed in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would feel the love and the support, even if it's at this point just from this house. I pray that you would feel it from this house, that there is nothing you can't do. There is nothing I can do better than you can do. It's about grace, and that's it. I speak to you that you would rise up. That was the word that I got this morning in prayer. Someone said that, that we would rise. I know we've heard that a lot, but you need to declare that I will rise. Come on, come on, say it. I will rise. And I, and I just, I speak for any, um, I, I just, I stand in the place of, um, of men that have been in ministry positions that have said just the dumbest stuff. Out of their insecurities and their just misunderstandings. 
I stand in their place, and I just tell you, you are worthy, you are valuable, and you are more than able to carry out the calling on your life. And we bless you. Now, I want every, just stay standing for a second. I want every man, the best you know how, just to bless them. You don't have to, like, say it where they can hear you. Just bless them. We bless you. Bless their clarity of mind. Bless them that they would, we, we speak courage, boldness, and that they would truly be able to be propelled forward after today's encounter with you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys sit down. All the guys stand up. Come on, Josephs. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right, guys. Put your hand over your heart. Ladies, extend your hands towards the guys. And right now, I pray over every man in this place, from the young to the old, that you would carry in you the great potential for not only what God has called you to, but to help steward and protect the women that he's put in your realm. That you would not find yourself falling into a place of trying to control, but you would be in a place of support and empowerment, and that you would be someone that ladies want to pray for them. Because every time you pray, I feel like I can take on the world. I pray for some of you that have struggled with uh, a lot of different teachings, a lot of things. You've, I pray that the Lord would come to your heart. I, I can't convince you. I just pray that God, like he did with Joseph, even if it's in your dreams, he would speak to you. And he would just make clear his feelings on this topic. But I bless you to be <laughs> manly men. that would steward what God is doing in the earth through everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand up.